Oh, hell yeah. Welcome to Morning Skate. What's up, guys? Uh, your host, Ked, joined by my co-host, Brownie. And let me tell you, we have quite the guest. Toronto native. He now lives in St. Louis. He refed over 1,300 regular season NHL games, 90 in the playoffs. Uh, he refed the 2012 All-Star Game, Scotiabank Place in Ottawa. The 2014 Olympics, that's right. He went international. Sochi, Russia. Ever heard of it? Uh, Canada Gold, Sweden, and Silver. Finland, Bronze. All of them. The 2009 Winter Classic, yeah, I've played outside before, but not in front of people, just, you know, out on the rink. Uh, the 2017 Winter Classic, uh, Snipes and Snipes podcast with Jeremy Rodick. Uh, I mean, this guy's a legend. So, Tim Peel, welcome to the podcast, dude. How's it going, uh, buddy? Thanks, thanks for having me on, boys. I appreciate it. Uh, buddy, when he told me that you were into coming on, I literally started a brand new memo in my phone, and it was like everything that popped in my head of something that I've ever wanted to ask an NHL ref, and I just kept writing them down, writing them down. I had buddies that I play with were like, oh, ask him this, ask him this, ask him this. Oh, very excited. Well, it's like the common hockey fan doesn't get the chance to ask. I mean, I get to talk to my beer league refs, and they're like, hey, you got any extra beers? You know, yeah, that's dude, most, the of the time, yeah, right. most of the time, they're just stoned. <laughs> yeah, right, no right. Like what you're yeah. talking about. But to uh, to talk to a real, like, legit ref, is uh, it's a treat for us. So I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, no, anytime. So you still play a bit, Brownie? Play, play some beer league hockey? Well, I, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but I actually I, I worked through a heart attack back before Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Very, very lucky. And uh, the guys I play with are like, when are you coming back? I'm like, Doc says after the new year. So I, I got clean pipes now. Knock Good on wood. Uh, hopefully Ked's still out there and I'll be back out there soon. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Brad, I'm glad everything's good. Yeah, yeah. I got a seven-year-old, so it was very scary. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> he was only on the IR for like a week. It was incredible, man. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. So Tim, thanks for joining us, man. Um, we have so many questions to ask you. And I think like the the first question is just how did you get into refing? I feel like that's probably a good baseline. Let's establish how you got into it. Cause obviously you had a passion for it. Uh, very decorated, man. I mean, that took me about a half hour to read all the shit that you've done in your life. So <laughs> like, how, how did you, how'd you get into it? Yeah, no, that's a great story. It's, uh, uh, I grew up in, I was born in Toronto, but I moved to the Maritimes when I was really young. Oh. Our family did in New Brunswick. And uh, we. I, I was adopted, grew up in a trailer park, didn't have any money. And um, we, we, the trailer park that, that I grew up in uh, was right beside this country club. And obviously we weren't members of it. And <laughs> so I started caddying at the golf club and cleaning clubs and working there as, as, as in the summertime. And then when the wintertime rolled around, I missed having the money. And the town that I grew up in, small town, Hampton, New Brunswick, 1,500 people, no traffic lights. The rink, the rink was like the church. You know, everybody, that's where everybody hung out for seven, eight months of the year. And so I was 13 at the time. And mom and dad were like, why don't you ref the – 8U, 6U, 10U, and so on, and to make extra money to make up from the make up from the uh, the caddying job that I had, and uh, so that's how I started. I started at 13, and I was just doing it for extra money, and then it just kind of took off. I I did it through college, and back in the Maritimes, that's they call it the Maritimes, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland. Um, the American Hockey League was big back then. They had the Cape Breton Oilers in, in Cape Breton, Edmondson's farm team. They had the Moncton Golden Flames where Brett Hull played. They, you know, they had Fredericton Express where Claude Julian played and, and so on. And so 
that's how I kind of took my next step in my early 20s. I was the local linesman. So the NHL would send in referees uh, to work in the American League, and I was the local guy that would work games in Fredericton, St. John, New Brunswick, uh, uh, Nova Scotia. And uh, and then my I was working for a bank, uh, a leasing company in Moncton, and my boss, our head office was out of Toronto, and he promoted me to, to come work in Toronto out of our corporate head office. And I'll be honest, back then, this is, this is in the mid early nineties. I, I just thought I'd always, I'd live and die in, in the Maritimes. I never envisioned moving to, to Toronto. And, uh, and then that's when things kind of, that's when I got my break is I got in the OHL as a ref and uh, had success there the first couple of years. And then, then back then they used to have what they call an NHL trainee program. And they had the, they had the guys in the NHL. They had guys that were under NHL contract, but they worked just in the American Hockey League. And then they had a group of us called NHL trainees and we worked in the old IHL, the International Hockey yep. League. And that's kind of where we cut our teeth, you know, bench clearing brawls. Yeah, and, yeah. It was, it was awesome. I, I loved, I loved working in the IHL back in the day. And then they, so they brought me on as a trainee. And I remember just being so pumped that that they brought me on as a trainee. And I have a funny story. I was working at Detroit Viper game in the old IHL, and it was a big game. And Brian Lewis, who was the director of officiating uh, for the NHL came down to watch the scheme and you know see how i was doing and i called just a horseshit penalty like a minute and a half to go against the viper of course the other team scores in the power play the home the visit the home team's chasing me off the ice and i had to work at the bank the next morning (laughs) after the game getting in around two three in the morning get up and go to work and Brian Lewis came in. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And he goes like this. He points his finger. He goes, come here. And he takes me outside. And he looks at me and he goes, maybe you're not as good as you think you are. And he did a 180 and, and walked away. So I'm driving back to Toronto for the next four hours going, well, oh, I'm no, it's over. Yeah. This was my shot. And I blew it. I had a big boss at the game. And, uh, and it's funny. But he was just kind of testing me to see. Does this guy does this guy have the jam to to you know you know there's there's you're gonna have a lot of bad games over yeah. your career and it's how you rebound and and then he was the one that hired me a year later and so yeah, that's oh that's great that's a great story it's funny I you mentioned Julian the pictures of Julian when he played back then with the long flowing hair and the handlebar oh so what a stud what a I stud. loved I loved Claude Julian I still keep in touch with him. We had a uh, a bit of a common thread because, like I mentioned at the beginning, I was adopted, and Claude Julian has adopted, oh, I think two kids, and I think he's got four or five kids, but he adopted two kids. He's a tremendous human being. I just I love the guy. We had we had plenty of 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 you know fu contests on the ice and so on, but I'd see him away from the rink at the at the hotel if they were the visiting team and and. Uh, and I just I love the guy. He's he's a good person, a good human being, and and uh, I don't know if we'll ever see him again. You know, maybe he 
his his time has come and gone, but he's he's a good hockey person and a tremendous coach. Yeah, he was fantastic here. Loved him when he was here. Uh, and everyone, I mean, when you got guys like Bergeron saying he's the had the most impactful coach that he ever had in his career, I mean, that's something to hang your hat on right there. Bergeron said that about him. Yeah, something to that. I might not, I might not have yeah, the word yeah. exact, but something to that effect. When he, when well, he, you know what, Brownie, you just touched on a guy that. Oh boy! Oh, oh watch man. out, Brownie's getting fired up about this. Peeler, we have this thing where I, I take a timestamp of how long it takes Brownie to mention Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> <laughs> we were about eight forty-five into this one. That's awesome. I could go on for an hour about how much I love Patrice Bergeron. It's, you and me both, buddy, and it, I don't know him like you do. The guy, I don't know if he ever yelled at me. If he did. I knew I screwed up. You know what I mean? I Sorry, knew I screwed up and I missed something because he, you know, I would bring Bronson to, to my, my son's 11 turning 12 in July. And I'd bring him, you know, I bring him to watch McDavid now. And, but I'd bring him to watch Bergeron and Sid, the kid. And, and I say, if you want to emulate, you know, a player, emulate Sidney Crosby back checks, you know, gives it all every shift patrice bergeron the same thing like there's a reason that he was just loved and respected by his teammates but loved and respected by everybody in the league league, in the nhl you got a lot of people that don't like you you have 31 other teams now where the fans you know hate the, the other team and I don't know if you'd ever, inter- you know, ever interview any fan base that didn't ha- didn't at least respect Patrice Bergeron. Right. That's hard to do in this world that we live in right now. And you know, I I uh, I love him, and uh, I hopefully I can see him again sometime and let him know, you know, tell him I said hi. Please. How much how much respect I had for him on the ice. I loved I loved, and you know we'll get we'll get Brownie going, Ked. But I loved. Loved working in Boston, one of my favorite cities. They uh, the Dropkick Murphys, the the band. They play that song, and I still play it. I'll play it if I go work out, or I'll play it in the car. And 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 they, you know, they start playing that that song in, at uh, TD Center, or whatever it's called now. Yeah, yeah. And that crowd gets going. I I worked a lot of important, uh, I worked playoff games there, game seven, one year between Boston and Montreal. That was a highlight for me, you know, growing up as a kid, I hated the the Montreal Canadiens. You know, I hated them because I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. And in the seventies and eighties, Montreal just beat up on Toronto every Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. Back then (laughs) we got one game. Right, right. One game on TV. But I remember the first time I ever went to montreal as a fan i was in my early 20s and we went up to you know drive drive up from new brunswick to party for the weekend and boston was playing on a friday and buffalo was playing on a saturday and back to back and i remember stefan riche scored a goal for montreal and all of a sudden and this was in the old forum right and i remember standing up and and i cheered for montreal for two two nights straight because it was it was impossible not to get caught up in the yeah. in the aura of the building and the emotion and just everything about Montreal. And but it was funny because I hated the Habs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Boston, I, I I loved I loved the city. You know, as a kid, I got a funny story. This is a funny story. Not too many of your guests are ever gonna have to tell this story. So 
Moosehead beer was big in and still is big in in the Maritimes in New Brunswick. The the factory, the head factories in St. John, New Brunswick, where I grew up. And uh, I had some close friends that worked there and they had this big van and it, it Moosehead, you know, all decked out on the side. And they took five or six of us to see the Red Sox play in the summertime. I had never been to Fenway Park before. And we're drinking all day, all day at Fan Faneuil Hall, and just acting like you know I'm in my early twenties, acting like just a complete idiot. The boys are and, having a time. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, the game's ending. We got great seats. We're like ten rows uh, from the field, and I look at my buddies and I go, "I'm going to the pitcher's mound." <laughs> and the game's ending. All the players are leaving, and you know they go, "Peelzy, what?" you're what i and i i didn't even give him a second ch chance to ask me again i run down the stairs i jump the wall i run out onto the under the mound at fenway i turn around and i'm waving my arms at these guys and here comes the security yeah. <laughs> and 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 i'm now i'm running for the for the dugout to, to jump over the wall and just as i got there these two guys and they you know back back then like I'm surprised they didn't kill me, like, you know, punch me, like, just give it to me. And they lifted me up and they sucked me over the dugout and they looked at my buddies and they said, get him out of here. And, and that was it. That's my Fenway Park story. No that, shit. That's probably one of the best Fenway Park stories you'll hear because nowadays, cuff stuffed, your picture would be up on the wall. Pepper oh, spray. Life. Yeah. Social media. Can yeah. You, oh. yeah. You get killed. Exactly. No, <laughs> that sounds like the typical day at Fenway back then. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just getting after it with the boys, something, like something dumb. And yeah, you're just lucky you didn't get arrested. <laughs> yeah. We I, I want to ask, we, we you you gave me the perfect opening because we talked about Bergeron. I want to ask you this. This is my first question I wrote down. What made him so good at face-offs? And the fact that he was so good, why wasn't the Bruins as a team? that good why could he not teach it that's a tough question uh i mean i know he's a student to the game and it was all the little stuff that he would study and everything but he was just so filthy but then like Krejci wouldn't be close to him percentage wise i know and i'm like don't you guys practice together <laughs> you know <laughs> he uh he knew how to cheat and when i say that every uh Every, um, like during the playoffs, we, uh, we have a series supervisor and it's usually a former ref. So when I, when Bill McCreary retired, he was a series supervisor. So he would be assigned to a series and we'll say it was Boston, Montreal. And, and in the playoffs, you meet with the series supervisor and your crew, um, the morning of the game. And if you're working game five of the series, he goes, okay, here's, here's what's, you know, the, the penalties that in the first four games, here's what, what's been going on. So-and-so has been targeting this guy, but just kind of Intel. And, and, and every, every series that I, every playoff game that I ever worked with Bergeron, the common theme was from the GM of the other team because yeah. they're all trying to get an angle right with the series supervisor to, to, to plant a seed in our head. They're, every one of them would be like, 
Bergeron's cheating on the faceoffs. We can't win the faceoffs. Bergeron's cheating on the faceoffs. I didn't now, really. Now, when you it. say cheating on the faceoffs, are you saying like jumping a little early? Is jumping early, like, spinning, stuff like that. I don't think he the, did. He was just line, right? like, like Brownie, you kind of answered your own question. He was just such a student of the game, and and I don't know if he could teach that to a lot of people because he was just so incredible at it. And uh, it's a lot. It's a bit of a lost start now. You know, Sid's yeah. still good at it, but it's kind of. You know, it's it's a bit of a lost start. I don't know if guys, I don't want to say take pride in it, but there were guys that, as you, you know, you use the words, he was a student of the game, and and I truly believe that. Yeah, so you mentioned, you, wondering. Go ahead. Sorry, Ken. You, no, you're good. So you mentioned Sidney Crosby a couple of times, and so I think him growing up, well, not growing up, but like when he first got in the league, I feel like the common theme was that he kind of bitched a lot. Or if you weren't a Penguins fan, that was kind of like, okay, Sidney Crosby, the wine or whatever it might be, kind of got a bad rep. But as time has gone on, that's kind of, you know, fizzled out, right? Now now people see Sidney Crosby for his brilliance, right? Like he's probably the best hockey player I'll ever see. I mean, growing up, I got to see Gretzky a little bit, but like not sure. – not, Oilers, Gretzky, or anything like that. So when when you're refing these games season by season, are you seeing the changes within him? Like, did he have to be talked to a lot by referees? Like, what what can you kind of get into his like progression as a player? I guess when he he went from being a guy who you know all he does is piss and moan to like a guy who's one of the most respected guys in the league, kind of like Bergeron. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. He came in the league, and you think about it, he came from the Quebec Major Junior League. I think he played for the Ramparts. Yep, and, Alexi Lafreniere's team, yep. Yeah, and he was 18 years old, comes in the NHL. You know that three or four years, however long he was in the queue, he ran that league. Yep. He ran the refs. He ran the, He ran that league. And all of a sudden, he's coming in into the NHL, and you've got Don Koharski, Bill McCreary, Mick mm-hmm. Magoo, Kerry Frazier. you got big, big names, and – big personalities and I think Sid thought he was going to come in and maybe you know do what he did with referees in the queue and intimidate them and and you know get his way and he quickly realized that 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 wasn't going to be the case and no matter you know um what his uh star power was at the time he wasn't going to intimidate NHL refs so 100% he came in he 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 got labeled very quickly like you say as a whiner and so on and but but in fairness to him he's 18 years old right like yeah, and I mean, that's like what he's used to right like he's you know, used we're to so hard on these kids you know uh coming into a league a, a man's league at 18 years old and uh but he matured and you're absolutely right i saw it i saw it just every year and he's just one of those guys he's just you know, you see what he's doing this year and putting up points and so on. It's incredible. And uh, I remember uh, when, a, when a player or a ref works a thou- either refs a thousand games or plays a thousand games, as you guys know, they have a ceremony and so yeah. on. And I was fortunate enough. I worked my thousandth game in St. Louis. And, and a couple weeks later, I see Sid in, in Pittsburgh. And, and I wasn't a big autograph seeker. I, I down in my basement, I got... I got Messier, um, PK, Sid, Gretz. Um, who else have I got down there? I assume you have a day lot. And just select guys that I that I had a lot of respect for. And uh, 
And I came up to him on my case that I, I, I know you get asked this a lot, but I just worked my thousand game. I'd love to get uh, something signed from you at some point in time. And sure enough, July rolls around and I get this courier package at my house and it's a Sid Jersey to Tim, you know, uh, congrats on a thousand and, and a nice note attached to it. And that's just the type of guy he is like, he has been, you know, saying he's a tremendous ambassador for our game is an understatement, but what he's done for our sport and, and for hockey is incredible. And, and I, I, I don't think there's anybody out there, whatever fan base you're at, that isn't going to miss Sidney Crosby when he's gone. I'm going to miss it. And, but I think we've got a few more years left. I'm not sure about the Penguins. They seem to be, you know, they're the second oldest team in the NHL right now to Washington. And they just, uh, they don't seem to be, uh, I don't think the Carlson thing is working out so well. Right. I don't know if you guys saw a quote by him. They, they asked him the other day, why do you think you haven't had success three on three? He goes, I have my views, but I'll keep them to myself. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think, he, you know, I don't think he's fitting in that dressing room. And I just don't think it's, I thought it was a great move by Dubas when he made it. I thought, you know what, him and Latang on the power play, whether yes. it's in his second unit, whatever, but it's just not working out. And, and uh, you know, I'd love the league is better when Sidney Crosby's in the playoffs, but I don't know if he's sure. Hey, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you played your thousandth game in, in St. Louis. And I, I made a note of that when I was reading about it. Is that something the schedule makers do on purpose yes. for you? So it's your home rink. Exactly. That's cool. yeah. yeah. They ask you where you want to work your thousand game. And, uh, you know, obviously you want to work it in the town you live in. Usually guys do, uh, you know, so that your family, you know, that I, I look back at pictures now and, you know, that's, uh, geez, Bronson, Bronson's like three and Brielle's a year old and my wife's holding them and, you know, they come, come on the ice and, and they give the, the Bacchus was the captain. He yep. gives Tisha flowers and taste. It was Chicago and, and St. Louis and, and funny story. So, um, you know, every, there hasn't been a ref or a player that's ever roughed or played in the NHL that hasn't had a little bit of a hangover. Okay. So <laughs> every, everyone's got after here and there. So night before the game, we have a, a bit of a party at my house, some more, more dinner for everybody and so on. And Joel Quinville and I had become friends and still are friends. And he's staying at the Ritz Carlton down the street. And, and that's where the, the other refs, uh, we're staying and I was staying that night too. Normally I, I would stay at my house, you know, obviously for a home game, but because our crew, the, you get to, uh, you also get to select your, your, I was going to ask. Yeah. So I got to select Kelly Sutherland, Derek Amell and Brad Kabachik guys. That That's I, pretty special, I, man, that you kind of yeah. get to design that. How you yeah. Are. Cool. So, so Quenville's texting me and we're at my house until about 10 o'clock and, Quenville's like, hey, come on down to the Ritz. He goes, he goes, Deneen and I and, and Mike Kitchen, we're in the cigar lounge. He says, come on in the cigar lounge. And so we show up and everyone's getting into it. And we're smoking cigars. And and I and Deneen's on one side of me and, and Quenville's on the other. And I'm sitting in the middle, we're on the sofa, and all the guys are around, and everyone's just telling stories and having a blast. And and I 
you know, I'm feeling pretty good at this at this point. And I look over at, at Q, Coach Wendell, and I go, you better be getting me a nice gift for my thousandth game. I said, if you give me an autograph stick, I'm going to break it in half and shove it right up your ass. And everyone just starts laughing and we're howling and everything's great. Everything's great. We're having a blast. Now we go fast forward. We, next day we, we get, get to the game. Chicago St. Louis, big rivalry. Yep. We got a couple headshots in the first period. We got Bacchus and Tace. The two captains are fighting in the first period. And Quenville's on top of the board yelling at us. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, that's the great <laughs> thing about hockey. Because he'd be the first one that would meet me at, at you mentioned OB Clark's. He'd be the first one that would meet me at OB Clark's after him. And we'd have a beer and we'd laugh about it. Because yeah. you know, that's just, that's that's the great thing about our sport is that they can be yelling at you one, at one moment. And, and then the next minute you're having a beer and it's all forgotten. That's great. That is great. I can just imagine that game too with, with the teams then as well. Oh, that was, that was one of the best rivalries in the league, man. Yeah, yeah, you, had C, you had Seabrook who in the playoffs, yeah. uh, no, I'm sorry, yeah, Seabrook that laid out David Backus and Duncan Keith skates by and goes wakey, wakey. Yep. And you know, it was fun. It was, I was at I was at the Blues Blackhawks team in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and and Bronson, my son, had a tournament up there, so our, we took our team to the to the Blackhawks team. And I'm texting with Kelly Chase, my good buddy, and shout out to Chaser. He's in the site. How's he doing? He's doing all right. He's got leukemia, and yeah. he's you know he's uh, got a, just finished his second round of chemo, but he seems to be doing well. His spirits are, are good, and so on. So. But I'm texting with him during the game, and he goes, isn't this supposed to be a rivalry? And I go, yeah, no kidding. I go, I think there's been four hits tonight, and Braden Shen's thrown all four, four of them. Yeah. That's the only thing that I feel we're losing a little bit in our game is the physicality, and, and physicality is good for our sport. It, it creates emotion and, and rivalries and so on, and our game is kind of turning into a bit of a skills competition and uh i hope you know but everything's cyclical we you know we we so maybe this is this is just part of the cycle right now where it it's listen we want to hire obviously you want to um draft and and have your your team built around skilled players but you still need that physical aspect and and hopefully we don't lose that actually that's uh, Bruins, the guy for the bruins the st louis boy trent frederick's bringing that for the uh, for the Bruins this year, he's finally got it all clicking. Yeah, he's playing Frederick, great. Great I'm great friends with his dad, Brownie. His dad's Bob Frederick. He owns a roofing company. Yeah, roofing, Sunday. right? Yeah. <laughs> I played a lot of golf with Bobby. I've known Trent since yeah. he was four or five years old. And uh, yeah, I love Trent. He uh, he's built to be a Bruin. You know, yeah. he really is. The fans love him there, and he's got a coach that I don't know. Uh, Bruce Cassidy, I don't think likes Trent. Yeah. And, and I think Bruce is a tremendous coach. But Monty, Jimmy Montgomery, who's a good friend of mine, he he knew he he, you know, he's known that thing because Jimmy lived here in St. Louis for a long time. And uh and he and he's known that family for a long time. And and when he took over, you know, I remember the couple of years, last couple of years that Trent was playing for, for Bruce, he was in and out of the lineup yeah. and Trent, Trent's dad, Bob was like, I don't know if he's going to last here. 
uh, Cassie doesn't like him. So it's amazing what a new coach and a, and a different perspective uh, can do to Fresh him. Start, they're giving him more responsibilities, playing in all situations. So, exactly. yeah, it, it, confidence goes a long way with at any level, you know. Yeah, he kind of turned into a player that, oh, that guy could be like a pretty good Bruin to like that guy is a pretty good Bruin, which yeah. is like pretty cool to see, right? Homegrown ball well, uh -huh. from like your draft, draft yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that was the draft year. Uh, there were five guys taken in the first round from St. Louis, which, yep. you know, it's remarkable. You had Trent Frederick, Clayton Keller, um, Joseph Wool, the goaltender. Mm -hmm. Um one of the Kachuk brothers, or was that after? Matthew Kachuk. Yep. And I'm missing one other. Oh, um, someone's gonna be someone's gonna be upset. <laughs> but what, what's amazing is all these kids. You know who their coaches were growing up? Oh, it's the Kachuk, old Jeff. It's the, I mean, the old Blues, Kachuk, right? Yeah. Al McGinnis, yeah. Kelly Chase, Jeff Brown. Brownie's yep. still coaching yep. here. Big influence in, in youth hockey in St. Louis those guys were their coaches like it's mm -hmm. incredible and now we're passing it's the torch has been passed to jamal Mayers is coaching now joey vitale the alumni here in st louis is incredible the, the amount of guys that stay and retire here you know mentioning the kachucks like i i tell people all the time i go you know big walt keith kachuk he's as boston as it gets mm -hmm. he's got his he's got more money he can live wherever he wants and and but they love St. Louis. Like it's a great place to live. They got a tremendous alumni. They've been unbelievable to me. They've got a, a thing, a Q and a at enterprise center on Thursday night with some former players. And they've asked me to come down and, oh, that's and great. part of it. They just, they treat it. If you were in the NHL, they just treat you like, like you were a, a player. And, and, and I can't say enough about the alumni here and, you know, it's funny you mentioned Al McGinnis. Uh, so I also, besides the Bruins, I cover Northeastern women's hockey. Mm. And Al McGinnis's daughter, Lauren, she played up until a few years ago. And I was interviewing the goal, the current goalie this morning, and we were talking about Lauren. And I said, I go, I didn't realize that slap shots were hereditary, that you passed them down. Because <laughs> she had a cannon, an really? absolute yeah. cannon. Yeah. Boomer yeah, I've, seen, I've seen highlights of her. I wonder, it makes me uh, want to text Al. Uh, do you know if she's playing in the new PWHL? Or um, I thought her name was in it, but I don't know what ended up happening because they had that huge influx of players, and then everything kind of shifted around okay. and settled out. I'm not exactly sure at this point. Okay. Yeah, I think she's good, though. She's, she's a heck of a player. You know, they just uh, – They've got a, a tremendous alumni here, and and uh, it's great to see. Yeah, for sure. We you talked about um, with Montgomery and Coach Q. So you you had friendships with a lot of the coaches, I'm assuming, and some I'm sure were funnier than others. Was there any that just went right up your tailpipe that you like? <laughs> you just I'm trying to say it the politest way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you just didn't always see eye to eye, and you'd see them on the schedule, and you'd be like, oh my god. Oh, shit. I'm going to yeah. be listening to him all night long. And, you know, if it's if it's John Cooper, I understand because he complains quite a bit, you know. <laughs> well, he does now. You are you're all right about that. But uh, I, I've got a soft spot for Coop because he actually started his coaching career. Kelly Chase and Brett Hall own this team called the Texas Arcana Bandits. They were in the North American Hockey League. 
and Pat Maroon played for them down in Texas. And they folded down there, moved the team to St. Louis, and John Cooper was their head coach. That's where Coop started. Kelly Chase. Was he like a lawyer doing it like part-time or something, right? Uh, I think he is a lawyer. Yeah. But I think at the time he was it was a full-time job and right. and they gave him they gave him his first coaching job and and so I got to because Chaser and I are, are best buddies and so I would always go to their games and Coop and I and Chaser would hang out after and and quite often close OB Clarks and and <laughs> and uh yeah so Coop's a great guy. Um probably there was a coach that it's funny as as I got older and he got older, we both mellowed. But Pete DeVore, oh yeah, we did not like each other. And I was working a game. He was he was uh, head coach for Jersey at the time, and he's giving it to this first year referee. And I went over to the bench and and I'm like, enough of you know, like he was trying to bully this this ref. And, yeah, and uh, and. The, the ref was Kyle Raymond, who's a season season veteran now, number 10, and been around a long time. And Kyle would always tell the story. He goes, it was hilarious. He goes, Pete goes, he says to me, he goes, you're arrogant. And I look back and I go, you're arrogant. And he goes, you're arrogant. And I go, you're arrogant. And he goes, you're arrogant. I go, you're, we just went back and forth like we were in grade four. I got an arrogant off. Yep. And, and we never got along. And then, and then, and then we just kind of, I think, like I said, we, we both mellowed and, and uh, I always got along with the coaches. You know, I, it's important to as a ref because you need them on your side. You know, yep. you can go over to a coach and say, Hey, you guys, you guys are, are losing control. Mm. Um, you're taking dumb penalties and, and, you know, you need them on your side to, to bring sometimes bring the temperature of the game down. Right. And uh, you know, some of my favorite guys were, were no, you know, torts. I love torts. And, and uh, there's a, a, a great story with torts. Uh, Nick Felino, you know, was the captain in Columbus when torts was there. And, and I was calling a game in Montreal and I called penalty against Nick and on the way to the box, he goes, you don't, bleep and respect me and and it couldn't have been further from the truth because Nick's dad uh, Mike was a coach in Hershey when I was working my way up and Mike Felino was just awesome to me and you know you'd make mistakes and come over to the bench and he's like Peelzy don't worry about it we're all trying we're all learning here we're trying to make it to the NHL and so I always had a soft spot for him and Marcus when uh, when the Felinos came into the league and and I respected Nick because he fought, he scored, he was a leader, he did everything that I that I admired. That's the right way, yeah. And so, about a month later, I'm working in Columbus, and I went down to the coach's room before the game, and I knock on the door, and Bradshaw answers the door, and I go, "Can I come in?" He brings me in, and Torts is there, and I said, "Can you get Nick Felino?" And they go, "Absolutely." They didn't even ask why. And Nick comes in, and I said you know my relationship with your dad and how much I respect him. I said, you said I, the other night I didn't respect you. I said, that couldn't be further from the truth. You're everything that I admire in an NHL player. And I said, I said, I just want you to know that because it's important for me to tell you how much I respect you. And he leaves the room and Torts goes, that was awesome. You <laughs> need more of that. Yeah. And we're kind of, 
it's kind of, I think society too, like people will ask me what's Connor, what was Connor McDavid like, or what was Austin Matthews? Like I go, I don't really even know because they didn't even talk that much back. Like when I was on the ice, mm -hmm. the new generation of players and there's, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but they're just so focused on the game. We've kind of lost that. You had relationships with players and, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but you know, when you get to know a player personally, they they realize this guy's not an, an a hole. He's just right. he's out here doing his job. It's nothing right. personal, and uh, hopefully we can get a little bit of that back. <coughs> right, so you you mentioned um with the uh Mr. Felino like oh yeah bad call and he's like hey we're out there just trying to do you know our best or whatever. I, I mean, refs mess up all the time. Hockey players mess up all the time, whatever it might be. So let's say first period, you, you blow a call, shit. When you go to the locker room with the other refs, like, are you guys looking at TVs where it's like, oh, shit, that wasn't a penalty or that was a penalty? Or do you not even touch that? Like, do you not want that to affect the way what's going to happen then? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, not so much uh, a trip or a hook or a hole, but if there was something – um, you know, back when I was refereeing uh, up until the last couple of years, we, you, could, you couldn't review, like if I called a penalty on, on Brownie for high sticking you, but actually it was your teammate that, that got you, mm -hmm. I had to eat it back then. Yeah. I had to, yeah. we, there was no review in the double minor. I, the four went up on the board and, and all awesome. of a sudden you see the replay at Madison Square Garden and you see it was his own guy got a stick. You literally wanted to dig a hole in the ice and crawl <laughs> into it. And the whole time that that four minute power play is going on, you're like, please kill this penalty. Please kill this <laughs> and it was a bad feeling. You know, we didn't, we, back then we, you know, it's only been a few years back then we couldn't review goalie interference right. and, mm -hmm. and we couldn't review headshots. So you call a headshot, you call a match penalty or a major penalty, you better be darn sure that it was a headshot because you're putting the team down five minutes. Yeah. Now they can review all of these, which is good. I think it's good for the game. I think we're at a place now where we don't need to add any more video reviews. I think, I think, you know. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question with like offsides reviews. And it seems like, I, who was it the other day? I think they, he said, you know, if it takes so long, why do we even kind of have them there? But you're more on the side of like, hey, I'd rather to get it point, right. I think is what, yeah. To a point. I, I, I hate the offside challenge. I think it sucks. I really do. But the problem is there's no going back now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and McDavid said, you know, if it takes 15 minutes, well, it took five minutes. Mm. It took, I, I text the, the Chicago broadcasters and I said, how long did this take? And they said five minutes and 15 seconds, yeah. five minutes and 15 seconds. Hockey time feels like 15 minutes. Yeah. And all the flow is gone. Everybody's cool. All, exactly. The energy sucked out of the building. Yep. Can you imagine if that was game seven? Ugh. The Stanley Cup finals in overtime. And the place is going crazy. And now we re we reverse it for a play that is literally two centimeters. Or, yeah. You know, that's yeah. Canadian. That's Canadian. I mean, but a, a quarter of an inch <laughs> off high. Yeah, but the problem is, you it, now that they brought it in, they can't take it out. And I think it was. Do you guys remember? Do you guys know the big reason that this was brought in? Do you remember the play in in Colorado? Colorado, yeah, they were like eighteen feet offsides, and they. Right. Yeah. Duchesne, Duchesne was literally ten feet offside, 
and my buddy Garrick Amell, who I was just talking to today, he's number, he was number 75 and, and ref, uh, lined in the NHL for 25 years, worked 10 Stanley Cup finals, worked a gold medal game when I was in Russia with him between Canada and Sweden. Like, this guy's a stud. And what happened was he thought the Colorado player uh, shot it back into uh, into, or I'm sorry, the Nashville player shot it back into his end zone. Right. So that's why he let, he knew it was offside. He knew, mm-hmm. you know, Duchesne was, but he thought that the, that the national player shot it back in yeah. and they completely overreacted by that. And, and that's not, you know, it's, it's just not, I don't think that it's the spirit of why we brought that in to review things for five or six minutes. If you can't decide in the first minute or two of a, of a coach's challenge or an offside review, then just stick with the call on the ice, whether they call it onside or offside, just stick with it. So this leads me into a few things with, with, with the review, has there been like internal discussion amongst the refs, amongst the NFL, NHL officials that um, reviews could only be at game speed instead of slowing it down? Would that make it more equal you know, you can watch it again, but it's a game speed only. You can't break it down frame by frame. A great point. That's a great point. And I, I don't know that if it's okay. if, if it's ever been discussed. That would be something that would be discussed at the GM's meetings. Yeah, um, I didn't know if you guys had yeah. input on stuff like that. Yeah, when the players are part of the GM's meetings and so on. But you know what, Brownie? It's a great point. You guys can review it, but you, you, you got to look at it full speed. Yeah. And and I think that would eliminate a lot of the challenges. And uh, you might be onto something there, but I don't. It's tough once you institute something now to walk it, and especially in the world we're living in with social media, because all of a sudden someone's going to tweet out that goal was offside, yeah. and somebody and, somebody will slow it down somewhere. Yeah, somebody sure. will slow that play down. Right. You know what I mean? Like even if it's game speed, they'll just slow it down and be like, "Oh, this guy's an idiot. How'd you not see that?" Well. Just people love the bitch. That that's kind of. Do you know how many goals were scored in the nineties and and in the two thousands and obviously going back to the eighties and seventies, but in the nineties and two thousands, that uh, a play was a quarter of an inch offside that oh, yeah. was never detected, and you know, I don't remember there being a big uproar back then. That you know. I just uh, it, it's unfortunate, but we're stuck with it. It's yeah. it's gonna be here for forever, I think. Like you so, said, it's tough to get the toothpaste back on the tube. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. Right. So you uh you talked a little bit about like establishing relationships with coaches, players, whatever it might be. Kevin Bieksa went on a little bit of a rant recently about Nick Cousins kind of being a rat in the league, where he took a run at Edmondson, he took a run at somebody on the Coyotes, and Zucker came over and he acted like he got blown up, whatever it is. Now you've definitely experienced different players that kind of play that game, you know, that on the edge, like a Tom Wilson, a Matt Cook, a Sean Avery, whatever that might be. When you're going to ref a game like that. I'm, I'm assuming that's in the back of your mind. Do you ever go out of your way and be like, hey, Avery, like play the game tonight? Or like, do you, do you have any, do you try to establish a relationship more with that player so he kind of behaves or anything along those lines? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, it was Valamaki he hit in, in Phoenix and, mm-hmm. and Bieksa went off on it. But JR, Ronick, and I on our podcast, we went off on him two or three days earlier about, the, about that because. The problem is, is that the league is allowing this. Yeah. So 
two weeks before he hits Gabranson from behind. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, Gabranson, yes. Yeah. He hits Gabranson from behind. No suspension. And, Which is insane, by the way, because that hit was so And bad. what's ridiculous to me is the, the referees on the ice gave him five in a game, but because now everything has got to be reviewed, mm-hmm. they, they get on the headset, they're talking to Toronto, the situation room said, ah, it's not that bad. We think it's a two-minute penalty. Really? So they change it to a two. That's how that works. That's how it worked. So now now Gabranson's pissed off because Cousins is still in the game. So he was he probably kind of happy about it, though, at the same time. Like, okay, now <laughs> I, I get to show off. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a problem with what Gabranson did. No. He not just hit me from behind into the boards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my, my final clutch from you. Yeah. And so what happens is, oh, Gabranson jumps him, yep. and Gabranson winds up getting suspended for a game. Yeah. Well, if the, if the situation room had done it properly and trusted the referee's call on the ice, Cousins would have been at, out of the game. Gabranson wouldn't have got suspended. Yep. Fast forward to Arizona. He knows exactly what he's doing with Valimaki. Yep. It's it's, rem, it's it's similar, Brownie, to the hit Kadri put on uh, – Boston player Debrusque. Was it Debrusque? I believe it was playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the playoffs. Yeah. And it was similar. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as bad, but it was very similar. And Zucker comes over, and I agree with you. And I guess Cousins is out right now on a concussion protocol, but JR and I both thought that he completely embellished it. Throw uh, the gloves, lay on the ice. ice. Kind of like what he did with with Gabranson when Gabranson pumped him. Got up nice and slow. Like, dude, you you earned that. (laughs) Zucker gets gets three games. And this is a guy that's never been suspended before. I was going to say, Zucker's not that kind of player. And and I, I texted Zucker and I go, I can't believe you got three games. He goes, I can't believe I got three games either. He was blown away by it. Like, so... I understand Department of Player Safety has a tough job. They are never going to make everybody happy. I get that. But you're letting this little rat, and that's what he is right now, a rat, you're letting him get away with things. You're not coming down on him. And so he's like, well, screw it. I can keep doing it. I'm going to keep hitting guys like that. And somebody's probably going to jump me and get suspended, and, and I'll take it. So. Until the league comes down on him, I think you'll continue to see him do it. Yeah, it, you made, it, you made it, such funny, a good point was, like a Branson hit because like that was such a dirty hit. I don't know how you can yeah. review something like that and be like, oh, that's only two minutes. Like he could have, he could have been so much more hurt. I don't. He got right up and he ended up beating the shit out of him. But like that could have been a catastrophic type of injury. And right. it's just oh, two minutes. Like what? He's just and I think that's head. the problem with Department of Player Safety right now is. If Cabranson was hurt on the play, oh yeah, But because he's not hurt on the play, they're like, ah, it's okay. We're we're gonna we're we're gonna give him a free pass. Well, att- attempted murder is still a crime. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when you said that they so Toronto on uh, uh, the situation room told him that to take it down into a two is is that how it works? Does every time you guys are on the phone? Toronto has the final say. They listen to your input, but I I feel like that's such a miss because they don't have the 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 tenor of the game and the tone and what's going on and all the you know you can feel it ramping up and they don't have any of that. It's very clinical, I would think, from their end. Yeah, you 
or uh, bang on brownie that's exactly what i said to jr i said they're making the decision in their in their chair watching the game on tv they don't they're not on the ice and feeling the right. emotion of the game and maybe what went on a couple shifts earlier and maybe maybe cousins gave him a little stick in the back of the legs and nobody right. saw it and and you know it's not caught on t they don't they don't understand the emotion of the game because they're not there on the ice and to to i think that was a big miss by them because yeah. to your point they you know it's you're refereeing from from your sofa at home and and you can't referee like that you've yeah. got to trust the guys that that are are out there and trust their judgment and they're not always going to be right but you got to trust that when they call a major penalty on some, like something like that, you gotta you gotta trust your officials. You gotta trust your employees. Yeah, I mean, I I do like the rule change of the ability to call the five and then walk it back. I yeah. think that's a good change. But I didn't realize that Toronto had the final say. It's a it, it is a good change because headshots. People think uh, it's it's an easy penalty to call. It's not an easy oh, penalty. It's so in, fast in in, in so real fast. time. In real time, you're like, did he get him in the shoulder? Did right. he get him in the head? Did it get him in the shoulder and then it rode up? Did or the did other he, player throw his head back it, to sell it? Exactly. Like, yeah. did he embellish? Um, so I like the fact because if you're going to put a team down for five minutes, you better make sure that it's a correct call because it yeah. can be, you know, it can obviously determine the outcome of a game if, if somebody's got a five minute power play. So I like that they're able to review that. And I like that they're able to review. The other things as well, and I think we're at a good spot right now where we don't need to review anymore. Well, <laughs> <laughs> with the embellishment, is that something that if you guys see, right, the play goes, you see the guy threw his head back, he didn't get touched, he sold it, you got fooled. Is that in the back of your mind for the rest of that game, or whenever you deal with that player? Absolutely. There's a there's a famous clip on on YouTube of me in Boston with James Neal. I don't know if you guys have ever the seen real that. deal and <laughs> the, the real deal. James Neal. I love I love him. He's a great guy. But at the time he was playing for Nashville and he was a big embellisher. And early in the game, Zdeno Chara, I called Big Z for a high stick and I love Chara. And he came up to me, he goes, Timmy. I swear to God, he embellished. I did not high stick him. And I I look at it in between periods, sure enough. So come out in the second period, and Tuka Rask has got the puck behind the net. He shoots it, the stick, you know, it's a follow through with his, yep. as he's shooting it. It comes up, it hits Neil right here. And you got to pull it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. So Neil, Neil grabs his face, falls back. And it was like the microphone was something to do with me and microphones, but it was, it was the microphone like it was implanted in my butt because you can hear me saying F you, you're getting an embellishment penalty. And I gave give him. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, you know what? We're humans. If you, you know, you get sucked, you got get sucked in by a player that, that embellishes all the time. Like I remember when Kadri was playing for the lease, I would say to our guys, if the Leafs are down by a goal, Kadri's on the ice in the last two minutes. I guarantee you, he's grabbing his face. He yeah. is grabbing his face at some point, saying he got high stuck, and it would happen 
seven out of ten games that I would work the Leafs, he would and I and you know what? He might have got high stick, but I I wouldn't call it because I'm like yeah. I can't trust you. I if Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, Ovi, you know the great Messier, the great players would never embellish. Right. And certain players got a reputation that that they would embellish. And guess what? You made your bed. You got to lay in it. If you're gonna if you're gonna do that, and that's gonna be your ammo, then I'm sorry. Sometimes things aren't gonna be called because we can't trust you as a, as an official. The uh, the old lineman uh, linesman Kevin Collins uh, used to say about guys that were played on that rat edge. He's like, yeah, when someone starts throwing punches on them. I was a little slower getting over there to break it up. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Kevin Collins, I worked with him. He uh, was, you know, an uh, incredible linesman. I yeah. one of my favorite guys to referee with. He was the type of guy when you were, when I was, a, I remember, I remember the game and it was 22 years ago. It was my first year in the league, 23 years ago. Well, now 25 because I've been retired for two, but I can still remember it. And I'm working in Boston and I call a penalty. And, you know, I'm like, ah, geez, I think I got it right. And, and whether I got it right or not, I don't remember. But I remember Casey would skate by me and he's and and whether he believed it or not, too, he skates, skated by me, goes, great call, kid. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Casey. And it just made me feel good because yeah. he respected him so much as, a, as an official and that had been in the league. You know, he was legendary yeah. and in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame for a reason. Yeah. Well, that's the confidence we talked about with Trent Frederick. It applies to refs also. Exactly. Yeah. What, what's the uh like? How does somebody become a linesman versus somebody being a ref? Like, how how does that end up working out? Do you start as one, end up getting to a different one? Do you kind of get to pick what one you want to you know choose to do? How does that work? Yeah, you kind of you kind of pick it. You know, not not at a young age, but once you get into your twenties and you start working, <coughs> excuse me, whether you start working junior hockey in Canada or junior or college hockey in the U.S., once you're in your early 20s, you kind of figure out, okay, I'm a ref or I'm a linesman. And, you know, they – they some guys tried to be referees, and it didn't work out. Like Jay Shares was, was an incredible uh, linesman in the NHL. Brian Murphy from New Hampshire, incredible linesman, one of the best linesmen ever to work in the NHL. They both back in the early 2000s, they, the, the league went to a few guys and said, hey, if you guys are interested, Shane Heyer was another guy, incredible linesman. Multi, all three of these guys worked multiple Stanley Cups uh, as linesmen. They tried refereeing and it didn't work out for them. They weren't very good refs. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of hard to explain why they didn't, why they couldn't succeed as a referee but lining, you know, being a linesman, it's pretty black and white. Either, either it's offside or it's not. Either it's yep. icing or it's not. There's a little bit of gray area there maybe. But, but as a referee, whether the fans want to hear it or not, there's a lot of gray area. You know, yeah, yeah he tripped them, but it was in the neutral zone. They kept, they kept possession of the puck. They didn't, you know. There's a lot of it's you know if people say I'll just call the call the game by the rule book. Well, trust me, the players don't want you to call the game by the rule. Be the referee to a yeah. certain extent, but the GMs <laughs> and the coaches also, you know, when 
when Bill McCreary or Don Koharski or Annie Van Helleman or Kerry Frazier, when they came on the ice, these ref, these coaches and players knew we've got some of the best refs ever and we're going to trust their judgment and they're going to let some stuff go on our side. They're going to let some stuff go on their side. Right. And, but at the end of the day, as a ref, when you left the building, you knew that, you, you know, maybe I missed a trip here. Or I missed a hook there. Was it fair for both teams? Did both yeah. teams get a fair shake? And that's all you wanted as a ref. You just wanted to, to leave the building going. Both teams know that they got a fair shake. And, yeah. and uh, you know, when my whole incident went down with the hot mic mm -hmm. and that, that next morning, my, you know, my phone is just going bonkers. You know, it's crazy. And there was a player, David Clarkson. He played for uh, Jersey, Toronto, Columbus. And when he was playing for Columbus, I literally thought he hated me. I thought David Clarkson hated me. He, he just, he, him and I were like gas and water or oil and water. Like we did not like each other. And I'm driving home from the airport and I get this phone call and I see a Columbus number. And I'm like, I, I don't know who it is, but I answer it. And it's David Clarkson. And he goes, Hey, Timmy, it's David Clarkson. I got your number through, you know, Marty Verdure. I hope you don't mind. I'm like, Hey David, how you doing? And I thought for a second, he was going to say, it looks good on you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And, and he goes, I know we didn't get along when, when you were, when I was on the ice and he goes, I'm retired now. I live in Colorado and I was just skating with some alumni up here and we all think it's a, it's a travesty. What, what's going on with you. And he goes, but he goes, when, when, when you were roughing our games, he goes, you know, they'd have your names listed in the dress room. And he goes, I knew we had one of the best refs, but he said, I knew we had one of the fairest refs. Yeah. And, and that meant a lot to me coming from a guy that did, I knew didn't even like me. Right. And, and that's all you wanted. I remember Bill McCreary saying to me once and Bill McCreary's and to me was the, is the greatest ref that, that has ever been in the league and he's in the the hockey hall of fame rightfully so and he said to me once he goes you never want to be liked you just want to be respected mm -hmm. and and it was such a good line because it's so true because you're never going to have what and, and it's you know what it kind of it translates into life too you're never going to be liked by everybody um, but all you want to do is be respected. And it, it, it was so true as a referee, you couldn't, you can't keep everybody happy. And there were a lot of players that I knew didn't like me, but hopefully they at least respected the job that I did. Or well, tried to do. From a fan's point of view, if, if we as fans don't know you, unless it's like Carrie Frazier oh. with the hair, right. Or, you know, right. yeah. But for the most part, if you don't know a ref, that means the ref's doing a good job. Right, proud of, proud of you. you nailed it. If you know a ref's name, most of the time you know that name because you're like, God damn it, I have to put up with this guy again. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. the Rangers are going to be so fucked in the third period. Yeah. Like that's that's like what you're thinking. If you don't yeah. know the name, it's like okay, you don't really think about it. Either. Yeah, I mean, you know the standouts, right? Like Kerry Fraser was a good ref, and Halliman was a good ref. Kevin Collins, Lyman, you were. I always thought you were a good ref. It's it, like the guys you know because you'd see like the first minute and a half of gameplay, and you're like, ah. We're gonna be <laughs> shorthanded all night. You just right, know, you know, right. you see it coming. But which leads me, Ked's already cringing. Here we go. Why does Chris Rooney hate the Bruins? <laughs> he doesn't. I, but, I know he doesn't. I but but you know what's so funny? People thought 
and I think it's a perception. I know it's a perception. People thought that I hated the Blues. Yeah, because you're and, the hometown and, guy. And yeah. Because if I called pen- more penalties against the Blues than the visiting team, people yeah. are like, oh, he feels he's just doing that because he lives here and he doesn't want to show favorites, favoritism yeah. to the Blues. Which is how many times I've said that to myself about Rooney. I can't. Yeah. yeah. And and that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, like you know, and I get your point, but, you know, Chris Rooney is, is – uh, you know, he worked the Stanley Cup Finals in two. No, he's I worked know. a few, but he worked the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals with the Bruins and the Blues. And being a Boston guy, and and I'm sure the Boston fans then were thinking, "Oh, we're screwed." Because, but the league was like, "No, we're putting him in here because he's one of our best refs, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter where he lives." You know, if if it, we had it, gone through this interview when I that, didn't that, say that it, to you, I would have been kicking myself. I had to. What's that? <laughs> If I went through this interview with you and didn't say that, I would have been kicking myself. So I no, 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 no. I'm glad you brought it up. No, I'm glad you brought it up because it's so true. And you know, I now on social. You know, back when I was roughing, you're not allowed to be on social media. Oh, really? Probably, okay. probably for a good reason. And uh, and now that I am, you know, I'll, I'll have fans going, "Oh, you hated Carolina." I'm like, I didn't hate. Car- I get I get Toronto the Toronto fans are the easiest to 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 work up. They're unbelievable. That was and one of my questions. That was they were the most fragile fan base. They're, they're it, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And and they go, you hate the lease. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen my picture that I put on Twitter, but I, it's me in my pajamas at Christmas time with the Toronto Maple Leaf pajamas. <laughs> I go, yeah, I really hated the lease. And I show them the picture. And, you and, you, you know, went to Paris in your matching pajamas. Like, you guys are so fragile. You want to blame? I go. I just the the last two years since I've been retired, when the playoffs start, every year they blame the refs, and I'm finally I had enough. I go, you've been blaming the refs for 19 years, not getting out of the first round. You've got to quit blaming. Like come 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 up with another <laughs> another uh, reason that that you're not getting out of the first round. You can't keep. Yeah, probably has nothing to do with the fact that you haven't had a goalie since Curtis Joseph, right? Exactly. Or the way they <laughs> allocate their funds, but we don't need to divert into into the into the lease. With with though with you talking about fans, were there ever? Did you ever have instances where you were nervous leaving the rink? Like, was there ever a time where you were like, Good "Oh question, boy, Brian. where where's my where's my detail?" You know. Yeah. Uh, so it's great. Every every NHL building we're at, we have an NHL security guy that that yep. walks with us on the ice and and uh, is in our dressing room. And and if if something happens. Uh, you know, we've got his number to call in the city that we're in. And, and uh, I, I forget what year it was. It might have been 2016 or 15 or 16. And Pittsburgh is playing uh, the Islanders in Long Island at their old building. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to the, the, their building in Long Island, but right across the parking lot is the is the Marriott. And that's where we would stay. So we would literally walk through the parking lot to, to go into the building. And it was an afternoon game, beautiful day in April. Everyone's tailgating all morning, drinking. And we get into overtime and somebody tripped Sid or hooked him. I call a penalty against the Islanders and Pittsburgh scores in the power play. And security came in and like six cops and said, you guys, we need to walk you back to the to the hotel. 
and they they form this this barricade basically around us and walk us through the parking lot and i can't even say on this show (laughs) what was said to us and one of them was from a mom and her son (laughs) sitting right there and let's just say it was a sexual reference to Sidney crosby that that we it was unbelievable the, you gotta love new york fans like and, and 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 one guy came up he got close to me and he spilled his beer on me and and he was big and i'm like if they if they didn't if they hadn't walked us back we're we're getting into it like we're falling down so yeah it didn't happen very often um but uh you know yeah there were a few times that that I was like, oh, this is this is good. this is uh, as Will Farrell said, this escalated real quickly. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you what do you guys do? And I'm just going to rifle through these questions that we haven't kind of that we haven't got to like in our conversation. What do you guys do during uh, the like a hat trick? You just kind of get a drink of water, wait for them to come yeah. out the hats. Yeah, get a hat trick. Look for a good hat. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> ask if you guys grabbed one. Yeah, yeah, I've got a few in my in my uh, in my closet. You know, grab a grab a nice hat. There was one I still got it in my closet. It, it was a Washington Caps one, and it was a camouflage one. It was it was you know military night, and and uh, um, but yeah, grab a grab a hat, get out of the way. But a funny story I mentioned Derek. <coughs> I mentioned Derek Amell earlier the great linesman and uh he's working a game in dallas and they somebody from dallas gets a hat trick and somebody throws a cowboy hat on the ice and they got this right on tv Derek goes over and puts the hat on top of his helmet (laughs) and and he his skates didn't even hit the the floor in the dressing room when the league was already calling him going what are you doing? You can't do <laughs> and uh, but it, it was fantastic. So yeah, that's so always been a big we head were, to go over his helmet. <laughs> I was at the Blues game on uh, Thursday night. Kairu had a hat yeah. trick, and my son Bronson threw the hat on the ice, and yeah, it's fun. No, I just was curious because it's it's a funny thing, and and I always see. I love one of my favorite parts about about the NHL is when there's like a stoppage in play and a linesman or a ref is leaning against the boards of whichever team. And I just love seeing the back and forth because everybody it's, I mean, granted there are times where people are yelling, but there's always, usually it's laughing. And those are the conversations that would be great to be on a, on a hot mic though. That stuff. Cause that yeah, seems yeah, like it's so much interesting fun. Stuff said. I can remember one night I was working a game at, at Madison square garden and, Sean Avery, they were playing. Uh, I had I had Sean in junior hockey, and I always got along with Sean, even though you know a lot of people didn't like him. And and uh, one night they're playing Pittsburgh, and he's he keeps calling Tyler Kennedy pig nose. Hey pig nose. Hey pig nose. Hey pig nose. He keeps calling pig nose. <laughs> Finally, I walk. I skate over to Aves. I go, Why are you calling Kennedy like pig nose? And he goes, Peelzy, have you ever seen his nose? And I looked, and I'm like, oh, my God, he does kind of have a pig nose. (laughs) These players would say to each other, it was like, oh, my God, it was unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. So, Avery, you mentioned anyone else stand out that you remember from your time playing, or uh, refing, just like funny all the time? Yeah. uh, 
Steve Ott was funny. You know, I, I, yeah, just for, for Steve, I had said to both benches, you know, different, different years, different games, but I, one night Ott's playing for Dallas and, and, uh, and I, I just looked at the bench and I go, and I go, Otter, are you married? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm married. I'm like, your wife must have to take Tylenol every night for a headache because you give me a headache every night that that I referee you. Like he was just nonstop. Yeah. Not at us, just at the yeah, players. Yeah. Yeah. was the same way. And uh um Chris Simon one night, I remember Chris Simon was a tough dude, man. Oh yeah. Tough. He was a talker, yeah. Yeah. And he's playing for Minnesota. They're playing Calgary, and somebody came in and took a took liberties at one of his players, and he did something back, and and one of the the other player, the Calgary players, said like Chris, what are you like, dude? What are you doing? And and or Simon says to him, he goes, what are you doing? And Chris and the, this other player goes, I'm just sending him a message. I'm sending him a message. And Simon looks at him. He goes, well, con- consider me his secretary. And all messages come through me. Like that was Chris Simon's line. Hey, consider me his secretary, and all messages come through me. I'm like, that is awesome. I love yeah. that line. File him under do not fuck with. He was a scary. Exactly. Scary well, I'm surprised he was a talker because he seems like the sti- the big strong silent guy, you know, that once his wires crossed, it's like, oh what what did why did we do it? You know, why yeah. it's not worth it. Peeler, uh, do you do you have right. any Jerome McGinley stories? Oh, that was going to be my last question. I was going to ask that at the end. No, he was he was uh, he was very good to to the officials. He was intense, like he was intense, like he, you know, he was like Sid. He'd get on you if if you know he thought if they he thought they were getting the the raw end of the the stick, like raw end of the deal. Um, but he just played the game. Like I don't really. He just played, man. He was another guy. He's like. Patrice Bergeron, a guy you just respected so much, and uh, and a guy that you knew played the game the right way, respected the game, respected the his opponents, and 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 uh, <coughs> and was just loved by his teammates and and uh, the people that he played against. So no, and I, I think his son's playing in the in the in Ultimate. the WHL now. Yeah, I had to, I had to ask him too. because of how obsessed Brownie is with Bergeron. He takes a Gimlet to a whole new level, and I didn't know you had that on your thing. I wanted that was for you, Brownie. That wasn't. I appreciate to that. We, so we sign off every every podcast, and I always do a God bless you, Jerome Ginlow, wherever you are. I love the guy. Like my wife, my wife has accepted it. You know, it's <laughs> it's yeah, it's bordering on like he could have a restraining order sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a huge Iggy fan. Huge. Yeah, Iggy I'm fan. with you. I'm with you. And I think he's part of that Calgary organization. Yeah, now, now he is. Yeah. With Craig Conroy. And we'll turn it around there. You know, Con- Conroy's a great guy. Um, tough, tough situation there. You know, I. I is he a Clarkson guy? Is Craig Conroy a Clarkson guy? What's that? Is Craig Conroy a Clarkson guy? I'm pretty sure he is. I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. I'm not I need sure. The new building. The building's in bad shape. The building yeah. sucks. No. You know. Um, and Trelevin did a did as good a job as he could with with Kachuk leaving. At least Matthew um 
told him he wasn't going to sign, unlike Goudreau. Yeah. They were able to get some good players back. But Huberto just isn't uh, – Huberto's not working out there, and Conroy's going to have a, a difficult decision to make with, with Hannafin. I think he's a UFA at the end of this yeah. this year, and he's a guy that – that 31 other teams would like to have uh, 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 Noel Hannafin on their team, you know, so. Hannafin's the guy, uh, when the Bruins had those three first-round picks in a row, uh, Hannafin's the guy that the Bruins cockily thought, like, they were like, oh, we'll trade up for Hannafin. And then they were like, whoever was in front of the Bruins were like, no. And their entire plan went to crap. Oh, and really? They, and, that, and Don Sweeney had been in the job, I think, like, 30 days and they just pushed him up there like good luck you know it was yeah the Bruins are still trying to recover from that yeah yeah Don Sweeney grew up about an hour away from me in St. Stephen New Brunswick and uh back in the 80s you know it was a he was the only guy from New Brunswick that um went and played you know he got a scholarship to play at Harvard yeah, and that was unheard of for a kid from New Brunswick to to get a hockey scholarship to Harvard. And uh, Don's a great guy; I've known him for thirty plus years, and that's a great organization. You know, we we talked about Chaser earlier. Boston was here on uh, Saturday, and yeah. Cam Neely made the trip. And guess what? Cam did the night before the game. He, he went and he went to visit Chaser and spent four hours visiting Chaser in his hotel room. Like that's, that's the type great. of guy Cam Neely is. So, uh, pretty awesome stuff. Uh, I got I got a lot of love for for Boston, the Boston fans, and uh, that whole organization. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 funny that the toughest guys on the ice usually are the best guys off of it. The best, you know, uh, Tony Tony Twist uh, yep. is in Chaser's. Uh, hospital room two three times a week funny story when when uh 2004 we're locked out and we're not getting paid players aren't getting paid but they had a lot more money in the bank than yeah. I did at the time and we you know i just bought a house in st louis i moved here in 01 and 2004 i'm buying a house and scott mellonby says to me he goes peels love scott mellonby yeah, Mel's awesome. I he remembers the same golf club. He works for the Blues. He's a tremendous guy. He was he was the he was the epitome, like the tip the prototypical Philadelphia Flyer. Him, Rick Tockett, those type of guys could score, could fight, would do anything for their teammates. You know, I'm I'm rocking that. People are probably if they're watching this going. Why is he wearing Philly stuff? Well, uh, the Philadelphia Warriors, I do a lot yeah. of stuff for the St. Louis Blues, uh, St. Louis Warriors. They're, they're veterans cool. that play hockey and, and they have organizations all around, uh, all around the country. And there's a big tournament actually coming up in February here. They've got 30 teams coming in from all over the U S cool. and Canada. It's awesome. And, uh, um, but, so we're not getting paid and I'm, I'm doing odd jobs. I'm trying, you know, I got a mortgage to pay. And I, at yeah. the time I, you know, I was only three years in the league, five years in the league. So I wasn't making a lot of money. And, and so Twister owned a bar in this part of St. Louis called Arnold, Missouri. It's kind of a rough, you know, it's blue collar. It's a rough bit of a rough town. And he owned, it was a biker bar called Twister's. And perfect, yeah, of that's, course. Yeah. that's so perfect. <laughs> so, 
And Twister calls me up and he goes, hey, uh, PLZ, he goes, you want to make some extra money on the weekends and work at the bar? I go, yeah, you know, uh, Twister, I'd love to. He, I, I go, but I've never bartend before. I go, I go, I don't even know how to bartend. He goes, no, no, I don't want you to bartend. I, I want you to be my bouncer. Oh, my I God. Go, Have you seen me before? I go, I'm five ten on a good day, 175 pounds. I go, you want me to be your bouncer? He goes, you'll be fine. He goes, don't worry. So all week I'd, I'd go bounce there on Friday and Saturday nights and I'd snuggle up to the, they, they had the beer tub girl at the front of the, the front of the bar at the, at the front door. And, uh, and I grow a beard the whole week and I put a ball cap on and a leather coat. And I, you know, I, I, I thought that I looked at somewhat tough, but I, you're I, sons of anarchy and you're sons of But I'm like, I hope nobody does anything. Cause like the last fight I, I was in was literally in grade four. So I, I'm hoping not. And yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was my lockout experience was, uh, bouncing at Tony Twist's bar. Hey, some guys played in Switzerland. Some guys bounced at a bar. You know, everybody had their own lockout story. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I mean, P Peeler, that's tough, dude. Like you're the bouncer. Everybody else probably doing like yoga. No, not you, dude. You you had leather coat <laughs> on you. Probably sunglasses, like one of those like licking stick like tattoo things you put on your neck. So people <laughs> yeah. think you're tough, dude. You're ready to go. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I we went. We you've answered every question I've had for a ref. I I I can't I can't thank you enough. Tell tell everybody about the podcast too, please. Yeah. So Jeremy Roenick and I. He was one of the first guys to call me when I had the hot mic incident. And he called me that morning and, uh, and he goes, you know, and now, you know, he got canceled because of yeah. what he said on spit and chicklets and, yeah. and NBC let him go. And, and, but he said to me back then, he goes, he goes, I know you feel like you're like drowning in, in quicksand right now. He goes, the whole world is on top of you. And, and he goes, but trust me, he goes, I know you. And he goes, you're going to be fine. And, and so I had met him. He played with Keith Kachuk in, yeah. in uh, Arizona with the Phoenix Coyotes at the time. And, and because of Walt, uh, Jer and I became friends and we'd always kept in touch. And, and when he'd come to town for NBC games or winter classics or all-star, whatever, we always hung out and he's just, you know, he's a tremendous personality and, so he called me one day. He's like, "Hey, he goes, there's no ref doing a podcast." He goes, "He goes, let's do a podcast." I said, "Perfect." So we, he goes, he goes, "What do you think of snipes and stripes?" I go, "I love it." He goes, "I sniped a lot of goals, and you, you, you uh, wore the stripes." So he's awesome. It's he's the best. I love. He the guy. seems like an unbelievable guy, dude. Like you know if what? I could, if I, I could carve out a best friend that's just gonna like have a kick-ass time, be funny as shit, but like also like a good dude, it'd be him. You know what, kid? I I showed Bronson my my eleven year old the the and and Jr's talked about this on the podcast. He's playing for Arizona and they're in the playoffs. And not to not to bore you or keep you no. long. No, no. He, so he the night before he lays out Medano and they've got to like basically carry him off the ice. Yeah, I remember that. And he goes, I know the Hatcher Darian is coming after. <laughs> And he he's carrying the puck behind the net, and Zuboff. A lot of people don't know this, but Zuboff slashed him first and broke his thumb, 
and literally 1001, 1002, here comes Darian Hatcher, six foot six, jumps yeah. and hits JR and breaks his jaw. Yeah, it's the jaw. And yeah. I'm showing Bronson the video of, and you guys have seen this, yeah. all his teeth. He looked like a jack o' lantern. All his teeth are, are just mangled and he's picking them out. Like he's literally picking them out. And he missed the next game, but then came back the the, the next game. Insane. With as you you guys remember yeah. the full the, the yeah. full like football mask on, and I'm like, those guys back then, I built you know, different. Not to, not to age myself, I'm 57, but those that era in the 90s and early 2000s. I think was the best hockey to watch. That's so you, funny you said that because I mentioned this to Brownie earlier. Literally, we had a conversation. We had a conversation before you really? got on about this. Like yeah. when you think about the league now, you think McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, like those are kind of it. But back then, dude, you had Korea, Solani, Lindros, Ziggy Palfi, Messier, like uh, Billy Garen, John LeClair, Tony Amani. Like you had unreal players kachuk ronick that was sackic eiserman like the list goes on and on and, and, on. and you know what you had a you had a plethora of good goaltenders back yeah. then. oh my god now, yeah. now you could count yeah. them on one hand back yeah. then it was cujo uh richter uh, marty brodeur patrick wah yeah. like yeah. on and on and on the, the amount of phenomenal goaltenders that you had Hockey and I, I love because that era it was a it was a combination of skill and physicality 100 percent. you got the you personalities got the too line in philadelphia the shortest guy was six four six three yeah. Le leclerc renberg and lindros yeah and all of them were good players like they skilled players but they, it was they destroyed people and you guys know who came up with the Legion of Doom line was Jimmy Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Monty yep. was playing for Philly then, and and uh, he came up with that with that nickname for that line. Over but the days, yeah, that was a great I love that hockey back then. So yeah, Jr. and I are, are doing it. Um, we're 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 live every Wednesday night on NoFilter.net, yeah. and last week we had uh, yeah PK yeah, right. On. PK was great, yeah. and then. Uh, uh in two days on wednesday it was kind of a last minute call by by both of us this morning i said let's get terry ryan on the show terry i was gonna ask i saw the post all over yeah. social media suited up for the newfoundland growlers in the east coast hockey league at 47 years old you know he's on the hit show shores he, he he's know, been uh, he's been on our podcast he's he's an unbelievable dude he's just awesome. like a dude he's a new he's a newfoundlander of course he's a good guy like they're yeah. the best I worked a lot of games in Newfoundland with the old St. John's uh, Maple Leafs. Those Newfies are the best people in the world, the kindest people. And uh, there's a great documentary called uh, "Come from a Come from Away" or "Come Yeah Come from Away," and it's about 9/11 when all the planes had oh, to divert yeah. to uh, Gander, Newfoundland because Gander, Newfoundland was an international airport. Right. And it was safe. one of the few international airports in the U.S. or in, in North America that hadn't shut down because of 9-11. All these planes diverted to Gander, Newfoundland. Well, this whole documentary, we're, we're off of hockey now, we're talking okay, about no, it. But all these planes had to, had to go to Gander, Newfoundland. Well, Gander, Newfoundland is only a few thousand people. They didn't have enough hotels for, these, for all these passengers that landed. Yeah. So what happens, the whole show is about – 
how these these families in Newfoundland brought in these people that strangers know yeah. and let them stay at their house for a week or two until they could get out yeah. and the bonds and the friendships that these people have with with these these uh with the newfies and these the people that they didn't know is incredible so yeah i'm looking forward to, to check that out uh, it's funny Once i forgot about that until you started mentioning it and then i remembered about about that story about them taking the people into incredible. Their house. yeah uh, a couple of things about jr i wanted to mention first off stick taps to jr for reaching out to you because you know about a person more when they help out a friend on the way down right because it's easy to be yeah. it's easy to be on your bumper on the way up but 100%. the fact that he was there for you on the way at your worst moment speaks to him. Uh, two, did him and Milbury really hate each other? Or was that just for NBC? I've never asked him. I I don't think a lot of people liked Milbury. But, <laughs> but, but you know what? Um, it's funny that you bring that up, Brownie, because Mike Milbury was a guy that I, did, I didn't know Mike from a hole in the wall. Yeah. Mike Milbury called me that day and yeah, yeah. Mike called me and it's amazing. I, I used this analogy a few weeks ago on our show. I said, JR, I said, I'm shortening my bench of friends. I said, as I get older, I said, yeah. uh, this guy, yeah, he's not, I'm shortening my bench. And the people that reached out to me at my, at the worst time of my life, um, you know, that day that it happened and I had to fly home and my wife had to hear about it on social media, she, not on social media, she had to hear about it because her friends are texting her because I didn't even have time to call me. They called me at seven or I didn't have time to call her. They called me at 730 in the morning at the airport in Nashville and said, you worked your last game in the NHL. And I said, I said, literally, this is the call. They call you worked your last game. I said, okay, I got to go. And I hung up because I knew the decision was made. So there was no, yeah. oh, please, blah, blah, blah. So You're a better man than I am, Peeler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. he said you were better for taking it. You I, you were made a scapegoat, in my opinion. I, so, I, they, oh, what the hell is Trust me. If, if people, if they think that's the worst that's ever been said on the ice, trust me. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot worse that's been said out there. It's, it's that. Than, and, and it's so easy for them, to put, it it's so easy for them to put that on social media, right? Like, oh, hey, we're going to put this on there. But the people that are contacting you, those are the people that are in the game. Those are the people that actually know the X's and O's. Those are the people that make the game that we love to watch. And Brian those people Burke. are reaching out to you, making sure that you're okay. Killer, I'm, I'm pissed off for you, dude. <laughs> it's, uh, no, like it's, it's, old, old, it's old news now, but Brian Burke, Lou Amarello, Daryl Sutter, Millberry, Quenville. Like if it was that bad, do you think that those everybody, people would be hitting you up? No. Everybody was was messaging me, going, "Is this a joke? Like, is this yeah. a joke?" But it was easy. I was retiring literally yeah. four weeks to the day, yeah. and and um, but the worst part of it, and it's still it it you know, I'm sure anyone listening will be like, "Hey, dude, you got to let it go." But the worst part was. Nope. Uh, when my kids came home from school and I had to tell my kids because they, because the blues had already made tickets up Tim Peel's final game. They had made tickets up oh. for their, for their whole, for everybody. Tim Peel's final game. We had a, we had everything all planned and my kids were pumped. You know, they were nine and seven at the time and they were pumped for it. And for me to, 
I remember, oh, so funny story. Not funny, but Kelly, so Kelly Chase, who's one of my best buddies, he, you know, I'm talking to him that morning and, and he calls me at 1.30 and he goes, I got some bad news for you. And I go, you got some bad news for me. Have you seen the day I'm having today? <laughs> and he goes, Bobby Plager just got killed in a car accident. Oh, and Bobby Plager, his numbers retired in St. Louis in the rafters, the Plager brothers from Sudbury. Bobby was a legend here in St. Louis. One of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. One of the funniest guys you'd ever meet. And uh, so, and Bron he was always so nice to Bronson whenever he'd see him at the rink. And and uh, so when the kids came home from school and I got down on one knee and I, and I told them first about Bobby and I started crying. And then I told them, hey, your dad's not working any more games. And that's the only, that's the only part that yeah. still, uh, still stings a bit. But you know what? It's, uh, life's about resiliency and perseverance. And I remember saying to my wife one day, she's like, she goes, cause I, I really did. Like I, I didn't go to my basement and hide out. I was like, I, I went out there. I was at the rinks. I was at, you know, I still coach my son and, and, and I'm like, I can't let people think that, that this is affecting me. Right. And, uh, and I said, but I, she said to me, she goes, you're, you know, you're handling this really well. I said, babe, I go, I have an example to set for my kids. I go, life's going to suck sometimes. Life, like you're going to, life's pretty good right now. You're in high school. You got mom and dad bought you a car. Like I said, I said this to my, at my referee camp that I had and to these young officials, I said, life's pretty good. You got a a girlfriend you got a car but i go guess what life's gonna suck sometimes yep. you're gonna get kicked in the balls and i said it's how you come out on the other side that that anybody nobody that everybody remembers you know okay. and uh at, at the end of the day that's that's all that matters so no well, Peter, th thanks right. for putting so much into the game man like without yeah. without refs there is no hockey and <laughs> oh, like, and, and at the same time just the stories that you're able to share and like, again the people that have reached out to you and, and you've made an impact and not yep. many people can say that they made that impact and that that i don't know i think that's special without being like too soft about it but that's that's kick-ass dude yeah, and I I really appreciate the shortening the bench line. I I've had a similar conversation with some. That was your resolution. So yeah, that was that was we did our resolutions, and one of mine was to basically the same kind of thing. It's like, why am I hanging on to some of these relationships? You know what I mean? Right. Gotta, yeah. No, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, you probably you probably had that brownie after your your heart incident yeah. where you're like you got a whole new perspective on yeah. things, right? Yeah, and you're like it's crazy. Right. And stuff that's like, like, it, why, why am I hanging on to this? What, what, it's not helping me in any way, shape or form. I agree. You know? That's why the whole Terry Ryan thing, the best part for me was when he was talking about his daughter being at the game. I know. Right. It, yeah. He was emotional. I was getting emotional. I, I, I wasn't on the interview with him when he was on the morning skate. I watched the show. I know who he is. Right. But that touches you as a parent or as a, or uh -huh. as a family member. And that's what it's all about. You know, and that's what that was the best part for me. Yeah, I agree. For fun. Agree. So Tim, you're uh at Tim C Peel 20 on Twitter, at Tim Peel 20 on Instagram, Snipes and Stripes, the podcast with JR. And I gotta tell you, you're telling me with the amount that JR talks 
there's no audio of him yelling at a referee that you guys could use as an intro for that podcast. I mean, come on, that's a no brainer. Well, there's no audio, but there's a, there's a clip and it's on, it's on social media or on YouTube and so on. He, he got, we, we talked about it on one of the shows weeks or a month ago. He got high stick twice in one game and was cut up, cut open in two different areas. And the referee was Blaine Angus, who eventually got fired. He wasn't a very good ref. And JR is on the on the bench, and Blaine Angus is standing standing in front of the penalty bench. And JR throws a water bottle right across the ice and hits Blaine Angus on the skates. It was hilarious. That's awesome. So yeah, you know what? If you if JR was playing this day and age with all the microphones, I'm sure we'd have we'd have a bit more. I, if JR was playing nowadays, he would be bigger than Matthews, Marner, and all of them put together. They wouldn't know what to do with him. He's He'd be a rock star. I agree. Personality, man. Yeah. That's what the game's missing more than anything is the personalities. But. 100%. Oh, thanks so much. This has been Yeah, man. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, having you on. thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks very much. Ked, you want to do a sign off? Yeah, guys, that was Tim Peel. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you check out his podcast and on Twitter, Tim C. Peel 20, podcast Snipes and Stripes, podcast with Jeremy Roddick. Tim Peel, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you.